This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Diving stop, Seager. Toss on up the first. In time to get seven. Three run homer. Robinson can off the lefty specialist, Fernando Abad. And the Mariners lead it five to four. Goodbye, baseball. Straight away, center field. Cano and Cruz go back to back. And the king, when the Mariners needed him the most, two hits over seven. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Welcome back to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Thanks for being here once again. Hope you enjoyed the off day yesterday. The Mariners get back to work today. Mariners and Phillies, a brief two-game series. Another off day coming up on Thursday. So podcast today, no podcast tomorrow. Day baseball from Safeco Field tomorrow. Tonight, 7-10 first pitch from the safe. James Paxton. 5 and 2, 339 ERA against Aaron Nola, 4 and 5, a 432 ERA. And then tomorrow day baseball 12:40 first pitch, Felix the King back on the mound and he takes on a young pitcher Mark Leiter on the mound for the Philadelphia Phillies. So just a quick two-game series to Anaheim for the weekend and then back home before the All-Star break is here, which is hard to believe as the Mariners Try and get back on track after losing two in a row to uh, before the off day yesterday. So taking on the Phillies, and the Phillies a team that is really struggling. Mariners, of course, saw Philadelphia earlier this year in Philly. And if you remember that series, I mean, they really stroked the baseball in that series. Things have not gone well for Philadelphia since then. 24-51 and 51 on the season. Worst record in baseball. They've lost three in a row, two and eight in their past ten ball games, and their struggles are uh, everywhere. Uh, they've had a ton of bullpen issues. They've already released Genomar Gomez, who was their closer to start the season. Nishek has been their best reliever. He's had a great year. Uh, he's expected to be traded here in the next couple, uh, next few weeks before the deadline. Other than that, they've really struggled out of the bullpen. Their offense has not been as good as expected. Michael Saunders, former Mariner, has been DFA'd as well as they've started to make some wholesale changes. But pitching-wise, an ERA near 5 on the season, uh, just three teams worse than that so far in Major League Baseball this year. And in terms of runs scored, they're near the bottom, uh, second from the bottom this year in runs scored. 285 runs scored, only the Padres worse at 274. Mariners have been climbing that ladder. They're up to 382 in the top 10 overall for the season. So an opportunity these next couple of days, although Aaron Nola is a really good pitcher. He's uh, the best pitcher on their staff. He's coming off of a very good start his last time out. Went seven innings, gave up just one run to the St. Louis Cardinals. Has had somewhat of an up-and-down year, but 
he overall he's been really good. He struck out eight against the Cardinals, walked just two. So he's he's the best that the Philadelphia Phillies will have to offer. So the Mariners will take on Nola and the Phillies tonight in a brief two-game series. They try and end the this homestand on a very positive note. We have a lot to get to in this podcast. I think it's going to be a fun one. I hope you enjoy it. We're going to hear from Andrew Moore, who will be back in the rotation you know, after. They don't need, because of these two off days, don't need a fifth starter during this stretch. So he went down for one start in Tacoma after a very successful first major league start so we'll hear from him we're also going to hear a long conversation from the scout who signed him which the scouts in my mind never get enough credit whether it's the major league scouts or the you know collegiate amateur scouts or the international scouts i mean they do so much work and you'll hear how many games (laughs) this particular scout thinks he has seen during the course of a calendar season and it's pretty astounding when you do the math on it so that conversation's coming up as well. Also, Josh Kearns returns, has a great feature as always. So a full podcast, again, no podcast tomorrow, but we will talk to you on Thursday after the conclusion of this brief two-game series, and then we'll get you ready for the weekend against Anaheim. So glad you're with us. Thanks for being here. And now we'll hear from Andrew Moore. I had the chance to talk with him before he took the field for his first big league stretch. Andrew, I think this was a surprise for us all. I think we had you on our radar, but today, what? how did you find out? When did you know? Yeah, I mean, it's always kind of something you never know, you know, when it's going to come. But uh, they told me last night after our game in Tacoma, uh, said I was coming up. They weren't sure uh, exactly when I'd be throwing or anything, but that it was coming up. So that was, that was pretty special to finally get that news that you wait for your whole life and dream of. And then um, getting to call the family afterwards is even more special and share that moment with them. How did Pat tell you? Uh, he called me in, and uh, honestly, a lot of our team has been fighting sicknesses, so uh, I thought they were going to tell me they were putting me on some different medications or something for the little virus I was going around. That's kind of what I figured it was. And then uh, he was like, no, you're going up to Seattle tomorrow, and i uh, got to be there after one, and <laughs> good luck. So that was pretty special. You've been here before, but to walk in and to have a locker and a jersey and, and then find out, hey, you're pitching tomorrow, what? Yeah, what exactly. Yeah, having that locker and seeing your name on a big league jersey for the first time is pretty special. But uh, I think having the big league camp experience where I know most of these guys and um, you know, have been able to develop a relationship with them has been huge. So, um, and you know, having Posey and Gaviglia and some guys I'm close with that are going through it as well, their first um, first go through has been awesome too. They've uh, already given me a few bits and pieces of advice, and I'll be picking their brain a lot more, I'm sure. What did you get in your time in AAA? Obviously, it's a little bit of a different hitter you're facing then. Yeah, just getting used to facing guys multiple times where they're you know really good at making adjustments. Where in AA you can kind of get away from or get away with sticking with the same sequences and just kind of wearing guys out on the same stuff. But AAA lineups are a lot better at adjusting to what you're doing. So um, the catchers up there and Painter were great about working with me on that. So that was just kind of working lineups, I guess, was the main thing. Hold on one second. Fernando, there's no clock. Can you tell me where I'm at right now? Okay. How are you going to watch the game tonight? Uh, going to be in the dugout and asking a lot of questions and just kind of enjoying it, taking in the atmosphere, and then um, just get ready to get after it tomorrow. You have the opportunity to get family here for that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have a lot. It's just a, a four-hour drive from home, so we'll have a lot of family and friends. So 
thrilled that they'll be able to make it. And some former teammates here as well, which is from college. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The Oregon State coaches said they wanted to make it, but they're uh, they're busy in Omaha right now. So, um, yeah, they said they'll be tuning in. So it'll be awesome for yeah, them. And Sam here too. Which... Sam. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's awesome having him right by my side. What did the skipper tell you when he had a chance to talk to him? Uh, we haven't had a chance to talk a whole lot yet. Um, I was busy doing some other stuff, so I'll sit down with him probably after we throw. Um, but, I mean, he just said the same stuff. Just be who you are, stick to your routine, and kind of the same stuff they told me in spring training. Just, you know, do what you do best and don't try and, uh, you know, veer from that at all. Well, it's exciting to have you up here. Congratulations, Andrew. Awesome. Thank you, Shannon. We get to sit down with Jeff Sakamoto, the Northwest Scouting Supervisor for the Seattle Mariners, and he was the signing scout for Andrew Moore. And, Jeff, this was an exciting night, obviously, for Andrew Moore making his Major League debut, an exciting night for Mariners fans that have been watching him progress through the Mariners system, and it had to be a thrilling night for you as well. You were the one who signed Andrew Moore. What were your emotions as you watched him pitch in his very first Major League game last night at Safeco Field? Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I felt like a proud dad. You know, I really did. I know he had a ton of family there uh, supporting him, but I just, you know, getting to know this kid from a from an early age and seeing him, you know, out on the mound at Safeco uh, was just a thrill of a lifetime. And and really, it was the emotions of, of like a proud dad, seeing everything he's battled through and gone through, and people telling him that he couldn't do it. And uh, you know, did it last night, and and I think he's gonna have a long career. So it was, it was a fun fun night. Think back to when you first saw Andrew Moore. Do you remember the first time you saw him pitch? I do. Yeah, I was. He was pitching for uh, back in high school, and uh, then he, uh, you know, same guy, right? He was the same Andrew Moore, pitched beyond his years, commanded his fastball, and you just knew there was something there. And uh, so we actually invited him to a, a workout that we had at Safeco Field, kind of a showcase that we had, and uh, so he got he got to pitch at Safeco Field when he was. Uh, uh, right, right after his junior year, and uh, it was fun to see him back on the mound at Safeco. You know, five years, six years later, um, doing his thing and, and really being the same guy. I know how much work goes into the draft and the amount of games and work that all goes into each pick. How many times do you think you saw Andrew Moore pitch before he was drafted by the Mariners? <laughs> well, being a being a Oregon State alum and, and you know, kind of having some connections there. I was at a lot of Oregon State games when Andrew Andrew was pitching there. So I probably saw Andrew uh, 12 to 15 times before we drafted him uh, at a minimum. And, uh, you know, he's just the same guy. You know, he's, he's consistent. He goes out there and competes his butt off every outing. And, uh, you know, got to see him a lot. So really felt like we knew the kid well. We knew what he was going to bring to the organization. And he's uh, done every bit of that. So describe for the fans that don't know what the process is like, how does it work when you see a kid like Andrew Moore who you become interested in? Uh, I mean, how do you go about the process? Yeah, I think, I think the first thing is really to, you know, see how the tools are, right? And, and uh, you know, it was, it was early, it was evident very early that, that Andrew could really command his fastball and really knew how to pitch. And so, you know, from there you kind of, you know, you do your report and, and see what you got on the field, but then you really dive deep. You, you talk to the coaches, you know, you get to know the player. We've got a series of tests that we run these guys through. Um, and, uh, you know, really – really try to understand what makes this guy tick and you know with Andrew it's pretty easy it, you know he's 
he's what we call a an 80 on the scale as far as makeup and coachability and, and character. So, you know, he definitely checked all those boxes when it when it came time to to really understanding who this guy is, um, both on and off the field, and and how he would progress as a as a professional. I saw the picture of you and Andrew in the clubhouse after the ball game. I mean, that had to be a thrilling moment. Is Andrew your first sign to make it to the big leagues? He sure is. Yeah, it was it was a thrill for both of us, and um, you know, <laughs> to see him, you know, being uh, showered by his teammates, you know, Felix and and uh, Cano and those guys. It was pretty surreal, and I know it was for him as well. And uh, I know his phone was blowing up last night with a lot of congratulatory texts and everything else. But uh, you know, just being there with him was was really a special moment for for him. And it really, you know, I couldn't be couldn't be happier for the kid, really. And I know in that same draft class, uh, Braden Bishop, University of Washington product, he had a big night the other night too, uh, MVP of the All-Star Game. Uh, that has to be fun watching him progress. He has had an outstanding season this year. You know, he has. He's really really kind of taken ownership over over his career and, and kind of figured out what it's going to take for him to, to make that jump. You know, he was a guy that we always knew could run and defend, and, um, you know, there was there was a lot of upside there. And he's starting to tap into it offensively. So, you know, I, I got to say, a lot, of, a lot of credit goes to Tom McNamara, uh, our scouting director at the time, who, who really, you know, made the jump on these guys, um, both Andrew and Braden, uh, because, you know, the industry was saying one thing, and, and Tom went with his gut and uh, pulled the trigger on these guys. And, you know, time will tell, but uh, they're off to a very good start professionally. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I know you enjoyed the night at Safeco Field last night, and I know you're already out today back on the road and back scouting ball games. How many games do you think you take in during the course of a calendar year? Oh, boy, shoot. You know, that would be a, a tough one to estimate. I, I would say probably close to 300, you know, and then, you know, between showcases and everything else, I mean, you know, it's a year-round deal now, you know, and, and oftentimes there's there's multiple games a day, and then we, you know, we have pro coverage in the summer. So it's it's definitely a lot of games. You see a lot of baseball, but uh, wouldn't have it any other way. It's it's just a thrill to be a part of the organization and, and contribute in any way I can. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a dream job. It really is. You're the Northwest Scouting Supervisor. So what does your territory entail? Yeah, so I have six states, uh, Pacific Northwest uh, and, and Western Canada. So, uh, you know, that's Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Alaska, and then uh, the western half of, of British uh, Canada, British Columbia, Alberta, etc. So it's a lot of time on the road and um, <laughs> a lot of geography for this territory. But, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely some big leaguers in, in our neck of the woods here in the Northwest, and it's just a matter of uh, scouring to find those guys. Well, you have to be a proud Oregon State alum as well. Not only are Oregon State players making big impacts at the big league level all the way around, but there they are back in the College World Series again. It's been, it's been quite a few years for Northwest College baseball. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll say this. Um, you know, when you when you see Northwest kids, you know that they're tough and they want to play baseball. It's not they're playing through you know adverse conditions a lot. And um, you know, I think Pat Casey at, at Oregon State has done a great job of, of recruiting the right kids and and getting that that tough kid that uh, you know when they get to Omaha, they they you know have a competitive advantage just for mental toughness wise so it's really been fun to watch them this year and, and make the the run they have and I, I really hope they can close it out i think they got a good shot well jeff this has been a lot of fun thanks for carving a few minutes out on what was uh, a tremendous night last night and again congratulations thank you it's my pleasure
As long as the Mariners have existed, Bellevue native Tony Pereira has wanted to be a part of his beloved hometown team. I was 14, wrote an essay for an essay contest in the Seattle Times where I want to be a bat boy for the Mariners, and uh, they liked me, but I was too young. You had to be 16 to be a bat boy, so I started off passing out stuff at the gates, stuffing envelopes, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, 37 years later, here I am. He's come a long way since that inauspicious start. As the senior director of Ballpark Operations, It's Tony's job to oversee all facets of Safeco Field, from the front gates to the beer stands, even making sure the toilets flush properly. He's truly worked his way up from the bottom. His first big break coming when the then Kingdome director of stadium operations needed a gopher. And the 15-year-old jumped at the chance. So I just did errands for him during the game, got him hot dogs, all kinds of glamorous stuff, but just stayed with it and, and... I stayed in the stadium stuff when I was 20. They hired me on full-time in the mailroom. So it was a full-time benefited job, and uh, I would do the mailroom and errands during the day and work in the, at the games in the stadium at night. And um, a couple years later, um, I became assistant director of stadium operations, and then around 25 or 26, I became director of operations. And then we moved over here. The title stayed the same, but you know the job grew exponentially. Did it ever. It would be a dramatic change going from the dingy confines of the kingdom to the shiny new city. Safeco Field. Well before the stadium opened in July of 1999, Tony and his team hit the road to figure out how do you actually run a place like this right? In the Kingdom days, you know, we knew we, it wasn't a great building for baseball in particular. And so when Camden Yards opened in 1992, I was there in April and my counterpart there said I was the, the first one to come visit. I was so anxious to see what the new ballparks were all about. And so, yeah, throughout the 90s, early 90s, um, before we even knew we were going to get Safeco, um, I would be, I'd go to Cleveland and see Jacobs Field and, and uh, Coors Field in Denver. And Safeco Field has deservedly earned accolades across the country as one of the best buildings in the business. The secret? Tony says it's a bit Mickey Mouse. Seriously. He's modeled the operation on Disney with Tony and team attending what's known as the Disney Institute. It's an intensive program that teaches everything from customer service and operations to leadership. I would say we start with trying, striving to treat our day of game staff the best uh, that any team could treat them because our the, the philosophy is very simple. You treat them well if they're having fun, if they enjoy coming here, that's what they're going to exude to our guests and our fans who come in. But it's not always easy. With 81 games a season, Tony admits it can be a grind. You know, this is an 11-game homestand in 12 days, and so to perform at that level and to ask everybody to perform day in and day out, and we'll say to them in training in March that, Um, September 30th is just as important as April 4th. The last game is just as important as the first game when it comes to service and and the experience the guests have. And it's not just baseball. Safeco Field hosts dozens of other events a year, from high school graduations to corporate fundraisers. Then there are the concerts, which Tony worked for years to make happen. With Paul McCartney, we finally were able to do it. I went to Fenway uh, because the Red Sox do a number of shows, and so they had great experience, and McCartney was there. and A chance to meet his people, meet his manager, let them know that we care very much about how, how their show goes here. So I think you're also demonstrating to the to the act and to the artist. And it's a small business and a small industry, and we wanted out of the gate to have a good reputation as a good building to play. We're going to send people to Wrigley Field uh, later in the month to see Tom Petty because we have that show coming up in August. But Tony won't be there. That's because his wife wanted to return home to her family in Phoenix after many years, and he agreed it was time for a change. Lucky for him, an opportunity opened up to oversee. University of Phoenix Stadium, 
which is home of the NFL's Cardinals and dozens of other events, including Super Bowls and mega concerts. And although he's excited for the new challenge, he leaves with a couple of big regrets. One, he never got Pearl Jam to play Safeco Field, and he never got to celebrate a World Series. We came really close, you know, three AL- ALCSs where we were just a couple games away from the World Series. Um, and so that's the piece that I really hope um, this team gets over the hump really soon. Um, the, the city deserves it. The region deserves it. The, the people that work in the front office deserve it. I'd love to be here for that. The next best thing, though, will be watching it happen. And I will be here in the stands when it does. For the Mariners Sunday Magazine, I'm Josh Kearns reporting. See you later!